1: Welcome, you have tuned in to episode number 409 of Linux in the Shack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And today is our deep dive episode, and we have an interesting deep dive episode. We're going to talk about a software package that we have only mentioned in a cursory way in the past. have not really discussed it at length, but we will definitely do that today. And then uh, we have the members of an organization that... We will talk about when we get to them, but we're going to talk about the software first. But before we get to that, I'm going to introduce everybody so everybody knows what's going on. And you may have at first noticed that I'm the only voice you're hearing from the show so far. And that's because Bill, NE4RD, and Cheryl, W5MOO, will not be here with us today. This is going to be handled entirely by me because we're recording at an odd day and odd time. And uh, I'm the only one that apparently who's awake right now. So <laughs> uh, we'll go ahead. we'll, we'll call it that uh, to make it sound better. Uh, and we'll introduce our guest for today. The first one we have is the author of the Deep dive that we're going to talk about today, and that is JS8 call. and that is Jordan Shearer, KN4CRD. So thanks very much, Jordan for being here. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. really appreciate it. looking forward to chatting. All right, fantastic. And then we have three other people, and you'll find out who they are a little bit later on, uh, or at least what they do a little bit later on, but let's find out who they are. The first is Klaus Nieson, AE0S. Good afternoon, Klaus.
2: Thanks, Wes, for inviting us to the show.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. And it's good to have you. And we also have Kun Lin, N7DMR. Good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon. Thanks for having me
1: yeah thanks for being here we really really appreciate it and then for those of you who have listened to the show for a while you may recognize this voice he was a past co-host of this very program and he's back again to talk about bsd in the handshake. now unfortunately that that may never happen but we'll see uh (laughs) but welcome back rich k0eb how are you
4: (laughs) i'm doing i'm doing great and uh I got that machine right here, so maybe I'll get it fired up someday. <laughs> uh, hello, everybody.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so anyway, we'll find out what Klaus, Kuhn, and Rich are doing here a little bit later on in the program. But let's talk to Jordan first and get a little bit of background on him and then dive right into JSA Calls. So, so Jordan, if you would, just give us a quick rundown of like what your background is and um, maybe as a hobbyist or your work background or... Amateur radio background or anything that sort of led you down the path that got us to JSA call
5: the topic of the day. Definitely. So I've been a ham for uh, a couple of years. Uh, I don't know when that was. Maybe 2017. I'm not really remembering what day, what year that was. But uh, I haven't been a uh, ham for very long. But um, when I did get started, I got really interested into digital modes, and um, you know that kind of set me off on my journey. Um my background is in software uh, i've been a software engineer for a long time uh, I'm currently working at a company called Zapier does some really cool workflow stuff um I'm leading a couple teams there and uh so I've always been interested in uh mixing technology uh different technologies and you know how it can be useful in different ways um and so Ham was just one way that I could explore that. Um, I've always been a tinkerer, uh, always taking things apart and putting them back together. Uh, Started, you know, uh, using Linux when I was really young. Actually, my first, um, uh, uh, my first PGP key, uh, you know, my uh, encryption key. I I saw that on the. server uh, just a a little while ago and uh, I was uh, 11 years old uh, when I had my first my first encryption key Uh, so I've always been around uh, computers and technology and so this was just one step in that direction.
1: So does that mean your your background in you know your job and your programming background sort of got you into um, coding JSA call as, as much as your interest in amateur radio?
5: Yeah, I think so. It kind of bridged the gap there. Uh, my, I'm, I've always been kind of a hobbyist uh, programmer as well as a professional programmer. So uh, I've always tried to uh, build apps and try to sell them, did business stuff for a long time. Um, but uh, the ham stuff was most fun. So um, I set out to kind of uh, really kind of improve FTA um, when I got started. Um if, uh, when I first started down the ham route, um, I was playing with, um, JT 65, uh, digital mode. Um, and, uh, was really fascinated by, I think I had like, um, uh, ft eight uh, one seven a little transceiver of five Watts, um, string out the window, uh, and, uh, could make contacts. And I thought that was fascinating. It was really slow and boring to me, but, uh, it was, uh, it was fascinating. Um, then, uh, the WSJTX group uh, announced their FTA mode, and that blew my mind, that you could take the same information and send it faster using the same power, and everything still worked. Um, I was still able to make contacts. Um, and it was actually just right after they launched, I sent a message to their, to their uh, uh, mailing group, and I say, hey, what if we could use those extra bits you talked about, uh, uh, the extra information that's in the payload. What if we could use that to actually just send more messages back-to-back? Uh, they thought it was interesting and not for them. And so that's when I set off on JSA. All
1: right. So that, that sort of leads me into a few of my first questions that I have jotted down here. Let's let's talk about um, WSJTX and the FTA protocol and, and how it relates to JSA calls. So how much of JSA call specifically is taken from like WSJTX, or did you did you like sort of, i can't
5: imagine you reinvented the wheel here so you must have borrowed some of it uh and expanded it so WSJTX is uh is open source um it's a gpl licensed open source project uh you can go down the code you can modify the code as long as you release the source um and uh, overall it's uh it's a great program it does what it says on the tin it, it's weak signal uh uh, digital mode for ham radio, and so you can use very low power or a lot of power over a long distance um, uh, to to connect with other hams. And so I'd probably say uh, more than 50% of JS8 is based on WSGTX. I, I took the program, uh, their program, their code, uh, and forked it. Um, went down the modifying it, just really trying to understand its internals and stuff like that. How would how would I actually make uh, this kind of weak signal but communication mode uh, out of this uh, out of this protocol? And so the first versions of JS8 call were actually really close to FT8. Um, insofar as uh, I think um, uh, they they contacted me and said, "Hey, you need to change the it's called a Casus array uh the de- the de- de- detector detects the signal." Um, you need to change that because it's messing up other other ft users. So um, it, the first versions were actually really really close, um, and it's diverged since then. Um, invented some, uh, invented invented a way to compress the text uh, a little bit uh, differently, um, <clears throat> changing the speed of the mode so you can send more information with more bandwidth faster. Uh, stuff like that. Uh, that's kind of improved over time. So, so what
1: is JS8Call written in specifically? How many languages? What does it use? What's the the basis of it? And presuming that since you forked it from uh, WSJTX, that it's still licensed GPL, correct?
5: Yeah, it's still still GPL licensed, so it's open. Uh, you can go and uh, uh, take a look at the code. It's uh, it's on Bitbucket, and probably put a link somewhere uh, to that. But if you Google it, dude, it'll just uh, it'll take you there. Um, all the code's open source. Um, it's written in primarily uh, C++, um, the WSGTX program uh, and 8 call both use the Qt framework for um, the user interface and that's in C++ and then there's a section of the decoder that is written in Fortran. Um, that wasn't my choice, that was WSGTX's choice uh, and um, since then, uh, I've learned Fortran and uh, can understand it and can write Fortran. Not something I was uh, expecting to learn, uh, but uh, it's been fun to see uh, how that can be applied. Well, that's interesting that you learned Fortran
1: in 2021, and I learned Fortran in
5: 1987. Uh, it's still it's still <laughs> still kicking. That's right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about FT8. So what what have you done to FT8? Have you expanded the protocol or just re-implemented the protocol or used some part of the protocol that gives you the added functionality? How have you
5: done FT8 to make it do what you want in JSA call? Totally. So at first it was just FTA and just changing the way that you, um, the one, one or two bits that can signal an extra message, um, but we were thinking, uh, we, I mean, um, some of the beta testers, uh, when we first were playing around with it, were thinking, "Oh, what, what can we do to make this unique? What can we do to make it not just another, you know, PSK or Olivia or other digital mode that you just send text?" And we had been playing with FSQ, um, that is a, a uh, an FSQ call specifically, and it's a um, uh, that is a. Digital mode and modulation and uh, protocol for um, interactive stations and some even automatic uh, responses. And kind of took that and said, like, Oh, this is what we could do with FTA. We could use it just plain text, free text, send whatever message you want. We could also layer on the networking side of interconnected uh, stations. And so that's where we started layering on and changing the protocol. Uh, and uh, uh, experimenting with new features so FTA8 mostly is uh, a, a frequency shift keyed uh, signal um, just sends uh, eight different tones um, and those tones comprise of a uh, a payload message um, and uh, it's really good, like 75 ish bits that you can send in one message. And that message in FT8 takes 15 seconds uh, to send about 12 seconds to send a few seconds of that error in between frames. And so what we did with JSA was uh, change a little way that the message was encoded. Um, It uh, packs a bunch of information, changes a different, uh, basically a packet structure. There's a little bit of a header, There's um, you have a, a structured uh, structured payload that either embeds the call sign, or a specific mand, or just free text. Um, similar to FTA, but it's different. The other changes that we uh, took with JS8 was um, later, in, in later versions, was speed it up or slow it down. Um, so JS8 has four different modes, slow, normal, fast, and turbo. Each one of those uses a different uh, bandwidth, and so it sends message either slower or faster. Um, slow is like a 30 second transmission, and ultra is like a four second or a, a turbo is a, a four second transmission. Um, and it uses a larger bandwidth to send that message faster.
1: All right, that's really interesting. I, l- I love how um, a project can build really successfully on another project. We we'll talk a little bit more about the operation of JSA call specifically in a second. But we've uh, sort of got your inspiration for it. We've talked about how you've modified the existing technology to create a different technology that basically, the way I've heard it described, is weak signal rag shoe. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, which is a cool thing. I've only played with it a couple of times. I have noticed that it's maybe its uptake is not as uh, I don't know, robust as you'd like, perhaps, but uh, hopefully we can help correct some of that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the application itself. So... Um, what kind of infrastructure do you have to set up to get it? Is it in repos, stuff like that?
5: So how, if someone wants to try out JSA Call, where do they go to do it? It's at jsacall.com, links you to a bunch of downloads. Um, we have a distribution for uh, Windows, uh, most um, up-to-date Debian-based Linux uh, installations, uh, Mac, and Raspberry Pi. Um, so you have an installation file that you can just load it up if you want to go that route. Or you can compile it from scratch. There are instructions. Um, It's not too difficult. Most of it is um, pretty straightforward. Um, And with a little bit of uh, hand-holding, it's uh, pretty easy to get set up. And that's the most useful case for custom systems uh, if you wanted to uh, build it on like an arc or something like that. Usually the problem with uh,
1: source builds is just having the necessary dependencies, so you'll need like the cute libraries and stuff like that.
5: But most of that stuff is in your normal distribution, though, so you can quickly install that and you're, you're off to the races. Um, so, once you install the, the app, um, what you need is a, a way to connect your computer to your transceiver. And so, um, you have to have um, some kind of digital interface. Um, it's very simple if you just have a, a, if you can key your rig and send audio out. Uh, so via a USB sound card, that's all you need, really. Um, for most uh, installations, That's uh, that would get you by. Um, I've done a lot of uh, parks in the air or uh, um, field days or something like that with just uh, like a little uh, too KX2 uh, with, connected to like a $7 USB uh, sound card that I bought off Amazon uh, connected to the computer. And uh, that's enough uh, uh, to get you out. Very good. And before, before we get into the next thing, which is going to be like the sort
1: of uh, basic configuration, and I will say that if, if you're if you're listening to this and you're at all familiar with WSJTX and some of the weak signal applications out there, you'll find yourself right at home with JSA call. You already sort of know how things work. Um, but you were talking about uh, the protocol and the different speeds, uh, turbo mode and all that stuff, and we had a question actually because we are streaming this. <laughs> this is Don, KB2YSI. I wanted to know, you know the way you are able to send in different modes and different speeds and different bandwidths, are you jumping between different things like FT8 and FT4 or are you doing it a different way?
5: Yeah, so the software allows uh, allows you to send in any of those modes, uh, any of the speeds um, at any time. And most, the default installation uh, runs a multi-decoder. So it runs decoders for each one of those speeds at the same time. And so you don't have to flip between slow and fast and turbo and, uh, and normal modes um, to, to intercept those signals um, if you're running the multi-decoder, and that's on by default. So you just load up the app, multi-decoder's on, you can receive a slow signal next to a fast signal um, without problem.
1: All right, that's, that's really cool. I love I love having these little interviews on on programs that I'm not really familiar with or, or don't use very much because then I always get really interested and have to use them right afterwards. I got it, great. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exactly what I'll be doing this afternoon. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, basic configuration of JSA call. So what um, what are like what's like the quick and dirty? How do you get it up and running? What's the minimum you have to do to once you get it installed, actually get on the air? Um, once you've got your uh, recontrol control device. Well, actually, rig control is uh, part of the configuration, so I guess we'll
5: touch a little bit on all of that. Yeah, definitely. So you set it up, uh, and the first thing you need to do is uh, go into the settings and set, set your call sign, your grid, similar to how you would in WSJTX. Um, and uh, as long as you have your audio device Uh, connected to your computer, you can just go select the audio device from uh, the audio settings um, that you'd be transmitting or receiving on. And that's it. That's all you actually have to do. Um, For the most part, everything else is extra. Uh, If you want to customize the way that uh, your computer controls your rig, um, you can go and set up. It uses Hamlib in the background. uh, So it has a, a bunch of different radios that it can connect with over USB uh, or, uh, or serial. Um, and so you can uh, set it up so uh, the software can control the rig. The thing that's important, though, is that you don't actually have to do that um, for the most part. Most transceivers have a Vox circuit, so uh, you can turn on Vox on your transceiver and hook the mic up uh, to the audio out from the PC, and that's all you need. Um, the, uh, uh, the most important piece though of setting JSA is that you need uh, a fairly accurate time source. So, um, you know, internet connected time source or something like that, a GPS dongle. You don't have to have those, uh, anything complicated, but for the most part, you need to synchronize your time, um, similar to how you would with FTA. The cool thing with JSA is you don't have to do that. There's actually a built-in utility that can just listen to the bandpass for signals. And once it basically tries to decode every second, and once it finds a signal, it'll automatically set the time to that signal. And so then you actually don't actually need uh, an internet-connected time source or anything like that. Um, But it doesn't do that uh, right out of the gate. You need to uh, tell it to do that, essentially.
1: Yeah, that's one thing we talk about when doing these weak signal modes is that time is critical because... Once you get outside of a certain delay, you'll you'll see drift or be completely unable to decode entirely. So
5: with JS8, it's a, it's about two seconds. You need an accurate time source within two seconds of a transmission, um, and but that doesn't mean you have to have like an accurate time source to the actual time. Um, it just needs to be within two seconds of the transmission, um, and that transmission could happen at four seconds or six seconds or fifteen seconds or whatever. Um, so, uh, that's why we built uh, a utility that's in the app, um, to listen for signals and try to set the time to their, to their basically transmission time.
1: Oh, that's really neat. That might, might be something, uh, guys over at, uh, WSJTX could incorporate. And that might, uh,
5: <laughs> I, I, I asked them if they wanted to, and, uh, it's open source so they can go check it out if they want. Um, that's the cool thing. Like, it would be awesome to be able to contribute some of that up backup stream um but uh uh, sometimes they're they're not interested no and i understand that completely but i will say just from a general computing
1: perspective especially if you're doing anything with cryptography or encryption or backups or or anything like that uh just a good stable consistent time source is useful even if you're not doing you know critical weak signal work or anything like that just have a good you know solid clock All right, so let's talk a little bit about basic operation. One thing I was going to ask you right off the bat because I was thinking about it a second ago is this: uh, since this is sort of like a rag chew mode and you're doing this um, using weak signal protocols, does it have the option of like macros and stuff so you can throw your brag tape in there and all that, just like, uh, you know, um,
5: PSK31, stuff like that? (laughs) So you have saved messages, so you can can dump whatever you want in there um, and send those uh, pretty easily. Um, There's some configured... Um, buttons to send, like, just a standard reply or, um, you know, your uh, signal-to-noise ratio or anything like that. Um, Those things are built in. Um, Most people don't use uh, brag tape because um, it takes a while to send a big, long brag tape, and um, it's more efficient to actually have a conversation. Right. So, so even with
1: the idea of this being a mode where you can actually have a conversation as opposed to just giving a signal report and a grid square, you're still, you're still sort of limited because you are doing weak signal work. There's a lot of uh, error correction and stuff like that. So you're, so you're sort of by definition limited on the amount of data you can send in, in a reasonable amount of time. But this does give the option of having what would be considered a more natural human
5: conversation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, One of the cool things about the payload itself, um, it uses, uh, I call it adaptive text compression. It has a couple of different algorithms for compressing the text. Um, And uh, one of those is a dictionary-based algorithm. And uh, so it compresses it based on a dictionary of English words. Um, I think the dictionary is like 250,000 words uh, that are stored inside of the program. And so it compresses those pretty small. So if you're actually just normally like uh, typing uh, real sentences with real full words, it actually sends faster than like abbreviations and funky, weird character type type words uh, because the text compression recognizes that and and compresses it better.
1: All right. That's cool. So I assume that The idea of how you would use this is—I mean, it has uh, like the band pre-configured calling frequencies and stuff like that, which are presumably the same as the ones used
5: for uh, WSJTX and stuff. So it's a a couple of uh, kilohertz away from FT8. Uh, Most of the most of the bands are configured—you know—I think it's uh, probably plus two to plus six kilohertz um, away, and so um, it's not in the same band as FT8 most of the time. Uh, we had done that at first, and they were uh, wsjtx complained about that, so we uh, we had changed those frequencies. So um, all that's configured up, up front. You have all the calling frequencies. It's very easy to get on the air. Most folks operate in the United States. Operate on forty meters or twenty meters, and then that's where you'll find most of the activity. Though um, so if you join the uh, the groups uh, groups.io GSA call group, um, the mailing list have a bunch of people who do skeds or uh you know fun uh, uh contest type stuff um once a month uh and even a net uh, every every once in a while all right
1: so as far as you know basic operation once you get the software installed you do your initial configuration whatever tweaking you want to do then it's just get on the air pick a default calling frequency send out a cq whatever and then have a conversation. Anyone who's had any kind of a conversation, whether it's a phone or PSK-31 or FT8, will sort of understand how that works. So I guess we don't have to go too deeply into that because it should all be fairly straightforward.
5: Calling CQ uh, is normal, um, and uh, um, you'll get replies most of the time if you're operating in a normal time or a normal band um, or and on the frequency. Uh, the um, If you've used... PSK or Olivia or something like that, like those standard conventions for QSO make sense. Um, there are some built-in, pre-built messages uh, in JSA, so you can and uh, your signal really fast. You can send your grid really fast if you need to, um, but uh, for the most part, people will use will do that and then they'll continue on with their rag chew. All right. So my next question. I have a couple of things
1: I m- might want to ask you specifically about if you don't touch on them, but I'm figuring you will, um, just because of the nature of JSA call specifically. So, what, what things can you do in JSA call? It's an extension of, um, 8 the protocol and WSJTX, the software. So, what can it do that WSJTX doesn't other than send longer messages?
5: Yeah. So, there are pre built messages, like I had said, um, sending your, your grid and your signal report and stuff like that, but also um, some uh, what we call commands. Um, And this is like asking if anybody can hear a particular station or uh, sending a message and having it stored on a specific station. Um, This is where we get into the networking capability of JSA Call. Um, Many of the stations will run um, in a kind of semi-automatic mode. Um, where the station will respond to other stations' inquiries. Um, So you could say, um, if you heard a station on the air, you could ask it your signal report, um, your signal-to-noise ratio, or you could store a message at that station and have someone else pick it up, kind of like a mailbox or BBS functionality. So there are a lot of different uh, ways that you can use the software um, in ways that you wouldn't be able to use even even PSK or Olivia, um, let alone FTA. One of the things that is built in, it's, it's called heartbeating, um, and that's a, a periodic uh, transmission that's sent automatically, um, saying, hey, I'm on the air, this is my station, and this is my grid. And uh, other stations that are also heartbeating will respond to your heartbeat, saying, hey, I can hear you. And it creates this interesting network Of stations that can hear each other. And that's displayed in the user interface so you can see which stations can hear you if you've been heartbeating. You can see which stations they've responded to that you can hear. Um, And uh, so then you can also do some really interesting stuff on top of that. Once you know the network path, essentially, like uh, station B. Uh, here's station C, and I can hear station B, um, I can send a message to station C through B. So it's a, it's a relay functionality built in, saying um, uh, you, can, you can call CQ, you can send a message, you can store a command uh, using that relay functionality to that end station. Um, and station B will pass that message for you uh, if, they have, uh, if they have that enabled in their software.
1: Okay, well, I I feel good because the two bullet points I had after I asked that questions was uh, storing and forwarding and unattended operation. So, <laughs> so you so you hit them all. Excellent. So that's that's stuff you have to enable. It's not not enabled by default, I guess. And I was kind of wondering as far as like the sending messages and that that idea of semi attended or unattended operation. Does that work in a way similar to like uh, Winlink where? You, you're basically forwarding on to somebody's hearing a storing, it, and then if that station hears the the uh the ultimate endpoint, it relays it on. Is that sort of the way it works.
5: Sometimes, yeah, um, it's um, it's uh, if you're storing a message at another station, um, they have to be actively heartbeating to um, forward a notification to another station um, that would actually want that message. Um, it doesn't actually forward the message automatically. Um so that's a little bit different than, than WinLink. And where it's, it's trying to Winlink is trying to move the message closer to the intended recipient. Um where JSA just just holds onto the message until it's retrieved. Um so uh it there's um there's some thought about how we could evolve that in the future to be more or less like WinLink. Uh there's definitely some interesting uh, you know, FCC US regulation stuff that might change that in the future uh we'll have to adapt to that if that if uh, there are different rules or anything like that but for the most part that's uh it's at your discretion you're the operator of the station if you're uh if you don't feel comfortable storing other people's messages it's not on by default so uh, uh you, you, and you can uh block stations and stuff like that if they're if they're uh sending you things that you don't want all right, very good. And I think you almost touched on
1: my next bullet point here, which was hidden tips and tricks. And you said something a minute ago about building on the functionality of that sort of forward networking and relay operations. So go ahead and expand
5: on that if you would. Definitely, so JSA Call has an API um, uh, built in. So it um, it hosts uh, a little TCP or a UDP server um, uh, from, uh, from the application. And you can program against it. So inside of the repository, there are a couple of examples. But we have a lot of folks who are experimenting with that right now. Um, Essentially, most of the things you can do in the software, uh, you can do through the API. Um, Send or retrieve a message, uh, uh, change the band, stuff like that, Um, listen to uh, the band pass and all the activity that's happening on the air. Um, and then you can build your own, uh, your own integration, essentially. Um, some of the things that people have done, they've, uh, they've um, connected a, a, a script that they're running to GPS to figure out their grid and then automatically send their grid when it changes um, as they're on the move. We had people who were like roving. They had uh, their transceiver in the car and their GPS and they were just plotting their course. Um, using JSA, which was pretty neat. I had someone who was attempting to write a a chess, uh, a game of chess using JSA. So your your moves can be encoded in a small text and then transmitted. Um, It's kind of neat. So I think the possibilities are limitless when you think about uh, an open application, but then also an open API. You can build against it, you can extend it, you can build new things on top of it.
1: Oh, well, that's fantastic. So anytime I get to someone discussing an API for an application, I always want to know if there is good API documentation because an API is a wonderful thing, but you have to be able to know how to use it. So where do you find documentation on JSA call and the API structure and you know the methods and things like that that you got built in there? Where would you go to get that?
5: Yeah, I would say that's probably one of the weakest areas of the documentation, um, the API docs, uh, mostly because it was evolving for a long period of time. Um, we never really settled on it. Um, so uh, linked from the download, you can go to the JS8 call docs, um, and uh, there's some basic documentation linked from there. Um, for the most part, that's an area, if you would like to help move JS8 call forward, I would love help <laughs> writing really great uh, API documentation because that that's something that uh, uh, is lacking right now.
1: Yeah, and let it be said here that if if ever you have a pension for documentation, you have a job for eternity because the one thing <laughs> that right. coders do not want to do is document code. <laughs> uh, as a coder myself, I know exactly how that is because you spend all this time putting the code together and the last thing you want to do is explain what you did. Uh, so what about uh, other development in, in JSA Call? Who's who's developing it with you? Is it only you? Are you taking polls or what? what how's it uh, as far as future development?
5: Yeah. So, uh, I'm the only software guy, uh, only programmer on it. Um, do have, uh, a small group of beta testers, close, uh, close contacts that have been, uh, been with the, with the software since the beginning and help influence its direction. Um, but for the most part, uh, I will accept any pull request or, uh, a patch that you want to, uh, uh, that helps move the program forward, fixes a bug or anything like that, um, I'm happy for that. Uh, that's the great uh, opportunity we have here with open uh, open source software is um, rallying around as a community. So uh, right now I'm the only person, but uh, I would love if anybody's interested uh, to dig in with you. All right. Fantastic. We'll call that a call for uh, help. Just in general. <laughs>
1: um, so now I, I we're just about to the time you've allotted us, and I want to let you get on with uh, all the things you, you have to take care of. But uh, before we let you go, there's two things we uh, need to get to. The first one is one we always ask at the end of an interview, which is what did we miss? What did we forget to talk about? What's something you want to talk about, even if it's not necessarily about JSA call, but, you know, uh, a hidden feature, a bug, something you want to tell us uh, or whatever, or just anything you want to say. Yeah, definitely. Well,
5: uh, JSA call uh, was a a fun journey when um, I was just getting into ham radio and really like the the most of the development happened when I was on parental leave with my first daughter. I would taken some time off work uh, and spent time programming and dealing with a little baby. Um, What's really cool uh, at the end of the month, we're expecting our second child. I'm going to take some more time off. And I'm going to probably do some more programming. Um, I actually have a lot of interesting things uh, in the works. So stay tuned. Uh, you can head over to JSACall.com uh, or our, uh, our groups.io group uh, mailing list um, to keep up, up to date with the things that are happening. But I'm exploring right now a different, a slightly different way to uh, encode the messages and modulate the messages that is more performant than... JSA is today. Um, It's uh, completely different using some some newer technology uh, for uh, uh, air correction, forward air correction. So That's something that maybe we'll see in a couple of months. Uh, I haven't uh, no plans on specific dates yet, but um, I'd love to be able to uh, bring even the next layer uh, to the world here soon. All right, very good.
1: And so groups.io, the the mailing list, and JSA call is it JSA call dot com? Is that what it is? Or yeah, is that's there, right. Okay. Are there any other places that people would need to go? Are you? Do you have any Discords? You're on IRC? Is there? Or uh, is there any other way that you
5: would want people to contact you about the program? Uh, you can you can send me an email. Uh, I got k4crd at gmail dot com. I respond to most messages. Uh, if you just want to send a personal note my way. Um, that's, uh, that's how you can get at me.
1: All right. Fantastic. And before you go, let's bring in everybody else here. I was, I was trying to figure out how I was going to segue into this, but, um, let me just ask, uh, let me ask Klaus. So Klaus, you and Kuhn and Rich are here for a very specific reason. And we've been talking to Jordan for the last 45 minutes or so. So, so why are you guys here and why is Jordan here at the same time?
2: Um, because you invited us, (laughs) Uh, no. (laughs) Um, we would have to go back to, uh, and talk about what we actually do. So the amateur radio software, world, uh, we are promoting software projects that enhance and adhere the spirit of amateur radio, uh, project that are innovative, free and open. And so the background on that is where I came from. Uh, I, my background is, has always been with computers and I was involved in with software and also working on open source projects. um, I didn't come to the amateur radio until December 2016. And one thing that I noticed is uh, amateur radio had a lot of software that were free, but not open. And I was kind of wondering why that is, because um, the whole open software uh, philosophy kind of fits with the amateur radio. And that's kind of how I uh, uh, got driven to uh, create this uh, software world, the amateur radio software world. And so we want to uh, celebrate the software projects and the developers that do those software projects that make those make the software open for anybody. So, for example, uh, JT, uh, JS8 Call, for example, is a great example. In this, uh, the software would probably would never have gotten up and going if Joe Taylor wouldn't have made FT8 open so that Jordan could go in and see how the software works and build up on that software. So that's really exciting and that's something that I really want to promote more. All right and
1: we're going to talk a a bit more here about the Amateur Radio Software Award but we are here to say for anybody who doesn't already know uh you guys awarded Jordan the twenty twenty one Amateur Radio Software Award for JS8 Call and that's why uh you guys are here to talk about that and why he was here to talk about JS8 Call. So so thanks for that. Um we're gonna roll into talking uh with the guys from the Amateur Radio Software Award here. So Jordan, if you if you gotta go, uh now's the time.
2: <laughs> Jordan, before before you go, Jordan, I wanna say again, congratulations for winning the award. And uh, Kul and Rich, maybe you want to say that as well. Congratulations,
4: Jordan. Uh, great job, and thanks for um, all of the hours you, you put into it. Really appreciate it. Yes, really. Congratulations. And we did,
3: did, deliberated a lot of time to reach that conclusion like we want to award JSA Cole for the for this year's award. So congratulations.
5: Thanks, folks. I really appreciate it. Uh, definitely exciting, and uh, I'm, I love the uh, the idea behind the reward and, and and wanting to push open software for ham radio. So I'm glad to be a part, part of it. Thanks, folks. All right. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for being here.
1: I uh, really appreciate it, and we look forward to uh, everybody giving JSA a Call a Try and uh, seeing how it goes in the future. Yes, definitely. Thanks, folks. Take care. All right. Take care. We're now left with Klaus and Kuhn and Rich of the Amateur Radio Software Award uh, board Foundation. I don't know. do you guys do you guys have a, an organization or is this just a free form thing going on? I'm gonna go with Klaus. i well actually, I'm not gonna go with Klaus. I'm gonna find out who started this thing. Actually, Klaus. okay, all right, so I was I was on the right track. so so Klaus, you started the Amateur Radio Software Award, which I guess you alluded to earlier. Um, but you've uh, brought on a few other people to to talk or to uh, to help you, I guess, determine who's going to to get these awards. but um, so let's let's talk about uh, whether or not this is an organization foundation what what are you calling this this thing the amateur radio software award? Is it just uh, a personal, like, we're trying to to get the information out there about these great software packages. Are you uh, creating something uh, that's more of a structured organization? Or, I don't know, I guess I'll just let you try and answer that question as best you can from a poorly worded...
2: Yeah, what we are not is, we are not an index of open-source software. Uh, so we won't list of all the open-source software for amateur radio. Amateur radio. Uh, instead, we are just uh, celebrating and promoting that amateur radio software is open source uh the interesting part you you talked about uh starting that uh the whole idea of the amateur radio software world Uh, that was an idea that i kind of had as i was mentioning but the amateur radio software world didn't get started until i was out on reddit and bringing up that uh, idea and had some feedback from people and that's how i met kuhn And he was working with me, so Kuhn was there from the beginning, really, on the award.
3: Uh, Yes, I saw Klaus's post on Reddit describing his idea of setting up this software award. So I contacted him and said, sure, I want to be a part of this. I would like to contribute to this award. So that's how we started this one last year, and this year is our second year, and we have which joined us the second year for the award. So
1: so it started last year. And so who, just so we can get this out of the way, who was the winner of last year's award, the or 2020
2: award, I guess? Anthony Goode uh, was the winner of the 2020 award for his K3NG Arduino CW keel.
1: All right, that sounds like an interesting project, and we should probably touch on that at some point. Klaus did say that you guys are not a repository or a clearinghouse of software applications. But that being said, how do you find the applications that you're going
2: to evaluate for the award? So we do accept nominations where people can go in and uh, nominate a software and tell us a little bit about that. Uh, We definitely appreciate that because uh, none of us knows all of the software and if people nominate new software, then we get uh, interested and look into it and evaluate that software as well. Uh, for example, uh, JS8 is not a software that... Uh, I have been using JS8 occasionally in the past, but I'm not a hardcore JS8 uh, user. Do
1: you do any research on your own to try and find software, or do you, pool, do you pick your winner entirely from the nomination process?
2: Uh, we definitely are allowed to bring out our own software, uh, not our own software, but software that we're using or knowing about it. And so, yeah, there's some research. And we're not just blindly picking uh, the nominated uh, software either. Instead, we go in and see if the software actually applies to the criterias that we have. And also, after that, we evaluate who should be getting the award for this year.
1: All right, that moves very nicely into my next bullet point, which is what are the qualifications for the software award? What what needs to be other than being nominated or you finding the software? What other qualifications are there that have to be met?
2: First of all, it has to be amateur-related, amateur radio-related. Amateur radio uh, then we say open source and free. So that means anybody could look at the code and fork the code uh, free means anybody could use the software for free. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the software project can't accept donations or so. That, that's still acceptable. Um, although we don't do security inspection of the software, uh, we do kind of want software that is non-malicious. And then also we have a no conflict of interest rule, meaning if one of us uh, on the about committee board creates a software that one is that software is unfortunately excluded.
1: That that's pretty typical. You want to avoid any I uh, you know issue of impropriety by uh, creating software that's nominated for an award and all that. So I certainly certainly realize why anyone would do that. So if somebody has or knows about a great software package and wants to nominate it, how does one do that?
2: Yes, uh, go to our website arsaward.com and there we have a link to awards nomination and you fill out a form and we will review that. Um, We have the due date for every award is uh, February 1st. So for the 2020 award, sorry, for the 2022 award, you have to submit the nominations by uh, February 1st, 2022. However, you don't have to wait Until then, you can uh, nominate those awards. Uh, Sorry, you can nominate the software now already.
1: Okay, fantastic. So, so you have basically a year period of nominations up to and including February first of the year, and then what what date is the award issued for that
2: year? In the spring, we do that. Uh, We don't have a fixed date yet. (laughs) We are still pretty young, and so we just. On February 1st, we kind of make our cutoff and we evaluate all the software that we have so far. So if there's any other nominations trickling in, that will be for the following uh, year. And then comes in the couple months of uh, evaluating which software uh, uh, fits the rules and which software we think is worthy for the award. And definitely not an easy task to do that. <laughs>
1: I, I imagine so. So, so the three of you guys, as of uh, 2022 award, uh, Rich Klaus and Kuhn, you guys are the the ones who decide amongst yourself, uh, deliberating who will be the uh, the winner of of any award. Correct? That's right. Rich, way to jump in there. Um. <laughs> so let me ask this: So you have an award. You've given away two of them. There'll be one announced in 2022, sometime in the spring. So other than an incredible sense of pride and three hearty slaps on the back, are there any other prizes for winning the Amateur Radio Software Award?
3: So this year we award the recipient of the Amateur Radio Software Award $300. So each of us uh, on the committee uh, uh, contributed $100 to the award money. So we sent it over. So last year, since there's only two of us, we send $200 award to the recipient of the 2020 award recipient. So that's how we're sending out the prize money. Like Each of us on the committee contribute $100.
1: Excellent. Do you guys see that as being the trend going forward, that you being on the board of the Amateur Radio Software Award will sort of pony up the award? Or do you feel like you might branch out into having... A sponsor give a prize or something like that, or is that not on the radar?
2: That's not on the radar. So our, the concept right now is that uh, we have the award prize for two reasons. One is it, it, since the committee member have to come up with the money of the award, it makes the committee, um, the committee member is, is more, has a higher buy in into the award and the whole process. And the other thing is what the award price also gives is a little bit more than just award that somebody nominates, but there's also something substantial behind the award. So that's kind of the idea of having the award price. All right. Very good. I like it.
1: I like what you guys are doing here. I like that you're advocating for and uh, actively promoting good software projects that are both open and free I like the fact that you have both of those qualifications there. Although for the most part, I've seen that open source applications are are also free as in beer when it comes to amateur radio. So you very rarely have to separate those two ideas. Rich, you haven't said much. Is there something you want to say?
4: <laughs> you could just feel it. Couldn't you? Um, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the money is, it, uh, I see it as a way of giving back because so many people do so many things for amateur radio. <clears throat> and this is just a way, you know, maybe I wouldn't donate. I mean, I don't donate to all the open source projects, you know, that I use, which is in the hundreds probably. Um, because is that you know, if anyone doesn't know, I'm a I'm a full-time Linux user. Um I, I'm always looking for for you know cool and new software and I and I love it. I just love the idea of it and the spirit behind it and it matches so closely with amateur radio being so open and you know we share ideas whether it's from antennas or or making contacts or just whatever uh it's just this this great community of of sharing and giving back and so this is just in in a lot of ways it's my way of giving back um the the prize or grant we we call it sometimes is just yeah it's just incentive and it's a way of saying yeah we really we're going to do our due diligence, and and um, I, I wanted to mention about the selection process and and the nominations. I really like it because it means that every year, I, I'm sure we're going to have you know the same ten projects <laughs> nominated every year, and they should be because they're stalwarts. You know, FL Digi, Hamlib, uh, you know the the list could go on, um, but then you're going to get some new stuff like this JS8 call. I don't know. If it showed up last year, Klaus, on the on the radar,
2: yes, it did, and it was up there as well last year.
4: Yeah, okay, and so uh, this year it, it came up again, and you know it was it, I think it was neat with the three of us. We both, you know, our our selection process was in a kind of a way where we we narrowed it down, and then we you know we talked about the few that were left, and and we came to a consensus, and uh, knowing that you know, the, the ones that got passed over could, uh, potentially, uh, be on the radar next year. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, it's a lot of fun and, um, I'm glad that, uh, I jumped on board this year. Go ahead, Russ.
1: No, I'm glad you did too. I think it, I I really like the idea. And I like what you guys are doing. Are, are you going to hold the board to three or are you looking for active participation in this or, or do you have any, uh, plans in any direction as far as that goes no we definitely welcome more board member and we're open for that all right so and and with every additional board member the prize goes up winners would probably be looking forward to that
2: (laughs) yes definitely
1: i'm going to ask you a question that would put you on the spot and don't feel that you have to answer it so when when you came down to choosing jsa call this year what was the one you almost picked
2: I don't know if we want to talk about that. <laughs> okay, I, that's why <laughs> it I said makes, yeah. <laughs> it, it. makes kind of bad feelings for the other software projects. Yeah. But there were definitely a lot of good software projects, and it was really hard.
1: <laughs> well, they may win next year. Who knows?
3: But, yeah. We have a lot of runner-ups, and it took us a lot of time to rethink and think again, and then finally reach the conclusion. And this is the one JSA call we're going to pick this year, so... Next year will be a next year's thing.
1: All right, and and uh, I don't know where I heard this, but I heard that Klaus has a Morse code trainer. You want to tell us anything
2: about that, Klaus? Um, Yes, I have an Android app that uh, for Morse code training. Uh, I wrote that a couple uh, a year ago, a couple years ago. Uh, That was during the time when I was trying to learn Morse code. Unfortunately, uh, I have a hard time learning Morse code. So, (laughs) great program of that. Uh, not the skills to learn Morse code kind of thing. So what what would you like to know about that?
1: Oh, uh, well, it's an Android application. So are you using, is it in the App Store? I mean, and what's it called?
2: Yes, it's in the Google's App Store. It's Klaus's Morse code, uh, tr- what was it called? Klaus's Morse code trainer, I think. And it's also open source, so you can check it out on GitHub.
1: We'll see. I think that's all we need to know. So you just Google for Klaus's Morse code trainer and... If you like a lot of people are having trouble learning Morse code, that might be one way to help you out. It's not, I mean, there are quite a few Morse code trainers out there, but uh, everybody learns in a different way, and this might be the fit for you.
2: Yeah, that program goes by uh, learning Morse code by listening. So it has a list of uh, levels that it plays to you, and then in Morse code, and then it gives you a couple seconds and it tells you via text to speech what letter it was was sent and then you can also uh, do words as well on that and if you want to you can create your own text file with words that you would like to learn on that
1: app all right excellent well thanks for telling us about that and thank you all for telling us about the amateur radio software award you guys are looking for additional board members if anybody wants to participate in this uh excellent project and the selection process for um identifying and awarding excellence in software development for amateur radio in the open source space. Uh, Anything else you guys
2: wanna touch on before we uh, wrap this one up? Yes, definitely. Uh, Every year, uh, well, every year we, we started now to have every year a special event station that we are running for the amateur radio world. And so we did that last year in the summer and we do this again this year. So on August 27th through September 5th, we will be on the air uh, with three call signs. Uh, it was Kilo Alpha, uh, sorry, Kilo One Alpha. Oh, sorry, yes, Kilo One Alpha was last year. <laughs> kilo Two Alpha. And that will be me out of Iowa. And I'll let the other people say what, what their call signs will be. Okay, my special event call sign is Kilo Two Sierra. I'll be running
4: it out of Washington state. Yeah. I'm kilo two something. <laughs> kilo two R. Ah, thank you. I'm kilo two R for rich. No, um, for radio. And, uh, I'm going to be running out of uh, Colorado.
1: All right. That sounds cool. And what were the dates on that? April, August to September something?
2: August 27th through September 5th. And on our website, Once it gets closer, we'll be publishing more information about that and also uh, more exact what times we will be uh, operating and what modes we will be working on. And that website, again, is arsavard.com.
1: All right, fantastic. Anything else anybody wants to touch on that I've somehow managed to neglect?
3: I think you covered everything I can think of so far.
1: (laughs) Okay, good. I'm I'm glad uh, I didn't miss too much. So what is the website for the amateur radio software award where everybody can go to find out more information and, uh, get hooked up with, uh, being a board member if they des- decide to.
2: The best way to remember that is the first letter of the amateur radio software award and award is spelled out com. So a R S award.com. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for being here and,
1: uh, thank you for doing what you do and promoting software and, uh, Thanks once again to Jordan, the winner of 2021's Amateur Radio Software Award for JSA Call, for being here and telling us all about his application. I hope everybody uh, participates in all of these things going forward, checks out uh, some weak signal rag chew and all that. Thanks, guys, for being here. I appreciate it.
4: Thank
2: you for having us. Thank you, Russ, for inviting us.
4: Yeah, thanks, Russ, and uh, 7-3 all the listeners.
1: All right. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, with that, I do actually have couple bits of feedback. We haven't done feedback in a while, but I do have to get to this, even though I'm here by myself, because we have a voicemail. We haven't had voicemail in forever.
4: You know, Russ, I had bought some some LHS stickers a while back, and my idea was to send one to anyone who gave a voicemail. So if they give their name and call sign, I'll send them a sticker, an LHS podcast sticker.
1: We have voicemail from... Tom, W-A-2-I-V-D, Whiskey Alpha 2, India Victor Delta. And he sent us uh, some voicemail, so I'm going to go ahead and play that now. And we'll see if there's a question in here that needs to be addressed.
6: Hey, guys and gal. It's Tom, W-A-2-I-V-D. Love the show. Been listening to it since back when it was just uh, Russ and Richard. And had a comment about the last couple weekenders, where in a couple of the contests, you mentioned green stamps. And I think um, Bill, I don't know, a few shows ago, he said that, uh, made some comment about, don't know that, you know, green stamps haven't been around a long time. And on this most, and I thought he was just kind of joking around. And on the most recent show, Russ commented about, you know, include a safety and a green stamp or stamp. And it makes me think you guys might not know what the old school slang green stamp means. Um, the, a green stamp for old school ham QSLing is a U.S. dollar bill, and it's uh, if you look it up, it's used for direct QSLing with DX stations. A lot of times, a DX station will say, you know, if you want me to QSL direct, include a self-addressed stamped envelope and a green stamp because they uh, they like those better than, uh, what is it, IRCs, international, I don't know, it's something that you can exchange for postage in any country. Anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. I didn't know if you guys knew that a green stamp was a dollar bill or not, but that's what it means when they're talking about that on the special event stations. Take care. Love the show. Talk soon. Bye.
1: All right. Well, thanks, Tom, for that voicemail. I think I once upon a time had heard the idea of using – green stamp to mean a, a u.s dollar bill uh but it's not exactly common parlance anymore at least not in my sphere so i completely forgot about it but thanks for that and we also have a youtube comment from Quazy cat <laughs> q w a z y c a t he asked the question or she maybe uh how is op- how is the open rtx project impacted now that opengd 77 is cancelled and I didn't know how to answer that question, so I went and talked to the OpenRTX team. And uh Nizzo, IU2KIN, had this response. There is no negative impact from the licensing side, as the only code is derived from or the only code we derive from OpenGD seventy seven is GPL2V licensed and properly attributed. Looking at other perspectives, we are saddened about the end of that project as it was inspiring and helpful for us and many others like Blind Ham operating community who won't have their voice prompts updates. On our side, we'll try our best to welcome the OpenGD77 user base, eventually revisiting our roadmap, but never giving up our core values, open source community-driven development and experimentation that we are presently expressing with the M17 project. Thanks to KwazyCat for the question over there on YouTube and for uh, U2KIN for providing a response to the question direct from the OpenRTX team. And with that, that brings us down to the end of our program for today where we talked with the Amateur Radio Software Award Board and Jordan Shearer, uh, KN4CRD of JS8 Call. Really appreciate everybody listening and being here and uh, chatting with us in the live chat. We had uh, Don KC9ZMY and Don KBTYSI. Thanks again. Hope you all have a great week and we'll do it all again next well thursday we hope we'll see how it goes i will sign off for all of us since bill N4RD and cheryl w5 mo could not be here uh, i'm russ k5 tux there's no seven three from bill this time oh no i don't know what to do anyway we'll catch you next time yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The show is recorded live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at urlbctsinfo Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash lhspodcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is URL.bcts.info. Stroke Discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show. That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show themed merchandise. Become an ambassador